What a great way to wake up. With a cup of logic, reason, and common sense. Welcome to the Independence Morning View. Let's get to it. Good morning to you wherever you are in the world. I'm Johnny Anderson. I'm joined this morning by Bruce Adams. Good morning, Bruce. How are you doing this morning? Welcome back. Good morning. Uh, thank you. Uh, doing well. Healthy, alive. Didn't uh, didn't die of corona yesterday. So uh-huh. yeah. you didn't call me for bail money. So I'm assuming everything went well. Yeah, yeah. No, no law enforcement was involved. So everything's good there. That's fantastic. Were you wearing a mask? No. No, actually, uh, that's not mandated till today in my area. So I tell you what, you hang on to that thought because we're going to talk about that later on this afternoon because I'm curious on that one. Uh, And also, we'll talk about this part. GP brought it up yesterday. We really didn't get into it. I was kind of wanting to talk to you about it. There was a state Supreme Court that handed down something about uh, an Indian (laughs) reservation is now half of the state. What's going on with that? Uh Uh, Basically, that is Congress's... um, failure shall we say if my my understanding is is right they were supposed to either have ended that you know gone over it again and ended it or uh readdressed it or something i don't know um Mm. but they never did and so you know another little hiccup there in our government uh and that's that's why it was a you know a deal does this cover part of where you are are you in that part of the state i think it does i i would have to look at a map I, I think like half of Tulsa is. And if I remember, there's a few roads close to here that says you're entering a certain part of the reservation. Well, I'm kind of curious one, now. Yeah. yeah, I'm kind of curious now because, I mean, you're, you're familiar with Indian reservations living out there and all that stuff. They have their own laws. They have their own tribal laws, tribal council and all the police force and all that stuff mm-hmm. that happen inside the reservation itself. And I have no issue with that. But with this um, dropping of the ball, shall we say, what does this mean for other parts of the state? What, what does that mean for their judicial system and their law and order? How, how is this going to work? So typically it's it's only for Native Americans that really this applies as far as uh, the, the, the tribal laws and whatnot. You could still be, um, you know, you could still get in trouble from from the tribal police and everything. But the numbers are so few that, you know, it's not that big of an issue. But you're going to see uh, prisoners that are Native Americans that are probably going to contest their sentences because, well, it happened in a tribal area. And so tribes, you know, they they go through the legal system themselves, you know, the, the tribal council and everything. They do things their own way. So, you know, it, it's possible we may see uh, violent criminals that are uh, released. You know, there's uh, this all came up, I believe, because of a there was a Native American that raped and killed a four year old, I'm wanting to say. And th- they Good were in God. prison and they that's that's where the sentencing he was contesting it. They were like, well, this happened in a, in a uh, reservation, so you guys have no authority. Then the, the judge was kind of like, uh, well, this is true. Um, so that's that's why it, the, the ruling kept going up the line. And we're seeing the ruling that it, that, that it is now. So uh, I don't know what this is going to mean in the long term, but uh, it, it means uh, government's going to have to take action pretty quick if they want to uh, button up that little little hole that they, they left open. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. All right. This morning, as I'm going over some things, right, I've talked about it before and I've actually I've 
been privileged enough to actually have been in one itself, not in service, obviously, but at a museum. And coincidentally, I've been at the only museum in the world where there's actually two of them. And that is the uh, the Concorde jet. Now, we've talked about advances in uh, technology, advances in travel and things like that. Usually a lot here on the morning show, especially because we've got guys like Elon Musk that are developing, you know, companies like his company, like Tesla, they're developing cars, autonomous cars. They're looking into space travel. So we talk a lot about that here. And so this morning, something caught my attention and it's a revival. I've been saying this right about the, the Concorde. It's a revival of a supersonic passenger jet and it's coming back. It's coming back. A prototype is to debut in October of this year. And it's, you know, I have to admit, this is long overdue. This is long overdue. This should have been done 50 years ago. At the very least, it should have been done 50 years ago. We should have been put on that track, but we were not. You had a series of events that have happened there. You've had corporate bankruptcies. You've had, you know, you had aviation accidents. You had regressive ideologues that were in place where they shouldn't have been. Hence why NASA got shut down. The space travel from the US part of it got shut down. We didn't actually lose NASA, but we defunded it massively. But this particular thing, this is coming back. And the difference is this time is it still has the same look to it, but it's going to be updated. As you, I think you brought it up when we were just kind of looking over it uh, before we started here, Bruce. You said it's essentially just like an updated Concorde, which I'm fine with. But the Concorde itself, as I said, it was really cramped inside there. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not a short guy. I'm six foot three and I couldn't stand up in there. That's how cramped it was. And so they're trying to bring this back. They're trying to put it at the forefront uh, and they're trying to to step us in the right direction. And so provided we can actually do this and do it the right way, which another step to this is, which is actually I think is good, is the Europeans, and I'm not meaning any disrespect to the Europeans. I'm not talking about, uh, I'm not meaning any disrespect to say like uh, the French or the, or the British in this case. But in this case, we're doing this in the US this time. So let's get it right. Let's get it right. I'm certainly not blaming a single country when it came to the accidents of those things. Certainly not. But we have an opportunity here to to try and do this the correct way. Not saying that anyone was at fault per se on purpose, but um, nonetheless, rather than shut it down and completely abandon the thing and, and put us back 30 to 40 years as travel progresses, we have a chance to do this going forward and right the wrongs, correct the mistakes and do things the right way. What do you think? I'm all for advancing and, and you know, upgrading the technologies and whatnot. We talked about it before, you know, a two, three hour flight across the Atlantic? Yeah, you bet. I'm, I'm all for it. If I want to visit Europe, man, I, I don't want to have to, you know, a 10 hour flight or, or whatever to, to yeah. get overseas. You know, that's, yeah, it sucks. Uh, that's not, that's not fun. Yeah. It sucks. Believe So, me. yeah. So having something like this in, in operation again, now, obviously people are going to be a little concerned with, you know, the pandemic and everything going on. But uh, honestly, as we see new technologies like this pop up, they're going to be expensive. From the looks of this one, the uh, I believe they're calling it the Overture. The entire plane is first class, and it does not look like it's going to be a cheap flight. So, you know, obviously it's not going to pick up really quick. But if you're like a business or something and you have to do, you know, if you have to do travels and whatnot in your business, you're absolutely going to look at this because, uh, um, yeah, well, why wouldn't you want to get overseas quicker? Uh, so I, I, I see this as a good thing. Yeah, this is what it was with the Concorde. It was primarily relegated to like business and, and things like that, because you could be from, as you said, New York to to London in three and a half hours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess it's not in Europe anymore, huh? So 
because I, I I technically well, said Europe, but it's okay. It's on the it's on the European continental shelf. How's that? Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I, yeah, just kind of a most syntax difference. But anyway, yeah, uh, you know, I, I'm personally I'm looking forward to this, and I would love to see the technology uh, improve, you know, and, and be more commercial, you know, be for the average person, like the prices go down and everything, because even, even as someone that doesn't have as big of a budget as say like a business or something, I mean, I would love to take a flight like that. That'd be fantastic. Let's just hope that there's a little bit more headroom in this one, because if I can jump across the pond in three hours, I'd be more apt to, to look at something like that as opposed to waiting, you know, 10 hours, which if you count layovers and you count security checks and all that, which you have to do that anyway. But if you count layovers and you count time differences and all that stuff, especially if you go from like I, I took a flight one time from from Frankfurt, Germany to London, England to Chicago O'Hare in one day in one day. And I swear to you, I will never do that again. As long as I live, I will never do that again, unless it's an absolute emergency. I will not do that again, I swear to you. Because you're talking, by the time you get done with a 10-hour flight from, say, London to Chicago, by the time you get done with that, you're on a holdover to get you to your final destination, wherever that might be. And it's just, it's so, I, I want to say that that travel in general, like flying, international travel. I, and I'm not I'm not bashing anybody because I know people that work in the travel industry. I know pilots and things of that nature. And I know that they do the best they can with it. I've known air traffic controllers and those people have probably the most stressful job of anybody. It's like a well choreographed machine, right? Or, or a well choreographed play that you're watching when you see the skies and you, you look at all the flights and people that have to manage this stuff. But there's a way possibly that we can make this a little bit more efficient, don't you think? But right, right. Are you saying we want to automate all that? What? I'm not saying automate it. No, because then you put people out of a job. Although the fly-by-wire system, they've almost got that down. Example, I was on a flight one time across the Atlantic. I can't remember if I was going to or coming back from, from Europe, from the U.S. I can't remember. But it was OK. I was I was coming back to Europe from the U.S. And we were over the middle of the Atlantic. And it was the middle of the night because you fly over and it's dark because of that. That's, you know, international flight departures. So you fly over. It's dark. And then it's daylight the entire way you're flying back. So it's it's a real pain. But as I'm flying over, I'm halfway across the Atlantic at thirty six thousand feet. I'm asleep. Right. I'm, I'm asleep. I'm in the first row. And right in front of me is is the galley, right? So I'm in the first row. I'm in the first seat. And I get woken up. There was no turbulence or anything. I mean, it was a, it was a smooth flight. And I get woken up at like, I looked down at my watch. It was like th- wherever I was. I think we were on Zulu time at the time. It was like three in the morning. And we were, I know, all I know is I looked it up at the map because they have these maps when you're flying and it, those long flights and it tells you where you are. We're halfway over the Atlantic. I look up and there's the captain, the co-pilot. <laughs> And the and the stewardess the stewardesses in the galley laughing drinking coffee and I'm like who's flying the damn plane yeah mm-hmm. I mean it's, mm-hmm. you talk about nerve wracking you know you, you talk about yeah. nerve wracking I'm like uh, Cap don't you need to get back up there one of you please and grab a hold of yeah. the controls because it, it's it's essentially they they want to take automation and this autonomous stuff to the point where you're going to have a pilot. And a co-pilot there just in case something goes wrong. You'll need them there for landings mm-hmm. and take off and that's it. Everything else is is already done. And essentially that's that's what they do already, pretty much. I mean, honestly, they want to get it to the point to where even uh, the only reason a pilot and co-pilot is there for is for emergencies. They want to include takeoff and landings uh eventually as well. Uh but 
I mean, you know, like we talked about uh, recently, the uh, Crew Dragon, right? That was um, that was the case for them. They were only there, really, they could fly the thing, but they were not really supposed to take the controls unless it was an emergency. So I, I could I could easily see that being being the case for, for um, you know, domestic flights and whatnot. And when you get to that point, or, or international flights, you know, just flights in general, I, I, I can see that happening, you know, automating that. And once you get that automated, uh, you'd be able to automate everything pretty much, you know, the as far as their air traffic control and everything, you could have that in, entire process automated. So I can conceive it and see it coming and see it happening. And we have the technology to do that more or less. So I, I, it's just a matter of it happening now at this point. Indeed. Well, I'm looking forward to this, uh, this new uh, overture, it's, it's being called. So I'm looking forward to that. The XB1 will be rolled out in October of this year. That's the prototype. And it will be looks to me like they're going to do the actual passenger airliner itself. That'll be in the skies. They're saying in 2021. Is that is that what I'm reading? Is that correct? Uh, that sounds about right. So uh, assuming the test flight goes well and everything, the the prototype is just to test the engines, basically. But as far as the the aircraft itself, I mean, we're, we're talking like business class for the entire interior. Um, there's only one row on either side of the aisle, you know, so you Everybody has their own window seat. The seats themselves look very large and spacious, plenty of uh, leg room. No overhead compartment. It looks like it's all below you, which go figure. I'm, I'm surprised it took them that long to figure out putting it below you. But anyway, yeah, I mean, it looks nice. It looks modern. It looks uh, updated. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking at their website and they're not saying exactly this is. Yeah, it says here that. Uh, let me see. OK, the uh, super. OK, uh, Boom Supersonic is officially. That's the company, by the way. Boom Supersonic is officially unveiling the XB1 October 7th in 2020, and it's scheduled to take the skies in 2021. Unlike European Concord, the XB1 and Overture will be built in the US, as I said. Uh, it has the appearance of a rocket with wings, a tail fin, a cockpit, and uh, much like military fighter jets, which essentially you get into a Concorde. That's what it was. That's what it was. I've uh, I've yeah. actually I've been in the cockpit of one of those things. It was it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic to see that. Is this a new startup company? Boom. It's, it's entirely it possible. New... I'm not sure. It says with the XB1, we're demonstrating that we're prepared to bring back supersonic. Uh, we're ensuring that supersonic that excuse me, we're ensuring that the supersonic future is safe and environmentally and economically sustainable. See, they're thinking of the environment. Uh, it says the larger jet will take to the skies in the mid 2020s and carry passengers by 2030. OK, so we're about 10 years out. So we're not going to be looking at passengers for at least another decade. Where is the orders? I saw there was a company that put in orders. Blake Scholl. Looks like he's the founder. It says here that two companies in particular, Japan Airlines, which everybody knows that. And of course, Richard Branson. So Richard Branson's uh, Virgin Group, uh, Virgin Airlines, Virgin Galactic, that company. The company is saying that both of these additional companies, Japan Airlines and Virgin Atlantic, have, excuse me, Virgin Virgin Group uh, as a whole. Both companies have pre-ordered a total of 30 aircraft, so I'm assuming 15 each, putting them at the forefront. So when the overture is ready to take passengers, these will be the first companies that will have them. So I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to it as you are. So we'll we'll see. It looks like um, one of their advisory board. Let's see. They have someone from Lockheed, someone from Virgin America, uh, another Lockheed, JetBlue, U.S. Air Force. A lot of Lockheed people, it looks like. Yeah. Well, if it's based on if it's based if it's anything like the first iteration of it, that like the Concorde from back in the day, that was as uh, as Marty pointed out, that was 
a long range uh, stealth bomber is what it was. It was designed to carry right. tactical nuclear weapons. So that's that's where it came right. from. But we turned it yeah, into a uh, passenger airliner. And of course, right. NASA, I believe, they still have one that's in use. I think it's the only one that is, that is still in use. They have one, and it's used as a flying laboratory, I believe it is. I, I think that's what they use. So uh, they're able to test certain things and, and things of that nature uh, with it. I, I'm not exactly sure if they still have it, but I believe the last I read, they were the only group that actually had one that was still in use. But speaking of flying, uh, and we like to talk about space here, right? Four mysterious objects have been spotted in deep space that are unlike anything we've ever seen. I don't know if you've seen or heard anything about this or, or not, but uh, this is this is quite something. They say that there's something unusual lurking out in the depths of space. Astronomers have discovered four faint objects that are at radio wavelengths and are highly circular and brighter along their edges. And they're unlike any class of astronomical object that we've ever seen before. The objects, which look like distant ring-shaped islands, have been dubbed Odd Radio Circles, or ORCs. For their shape, astronomers don't yet know exactly how far away these ORCs are, but they can be linked to distant galaxies. All objects were found away from the Milky Way's galactic plane and are around one arc minute across. For comparison, the moon's diameter is 31 arc minutes. How the hell can we figure that out? How do we know that? How do we do the the, the figuring of those? Like, how, how do we dis, how do we come up with the, the the actual size of these things? How do we know if they're that far out and they're unlike anything we've ever seen before? And we don't really know precisely what they are. How can we make that comparison to make the determination of how big they are? Do you know the answer to that question? So there's a there's a few ways that they're doing it. Being as they're they're talking about radio waves here, I would imagine they're using. Think of it like sonar or radar. So uh, you would have a radio wave. It's traveling and it bounces off of something, you know, kind of like sonar. It's kind of basically how it works. It, it bounces off of stuff and you get a, a general idea of what's in the area based on the reflection, the time it takes the, the radio waves to return. Well, in this case, it's it's more passive and it's based off of radio waves from like a star in the area. They kind of do the same thing with light. They'll use light and the um, IR signature that's being emitted. Different materials uh, emit a different uh, wavelength. So they're probably doing something, one of those two things. Um, I, I'm sure there's other ways out there. Those are the two main ones that I'm aware of, though, is just basically their their uh, radio wave or their IR signature. Okay. It says here that uh, the, in a new paper detailing the discovery, astronomers offer several possible explana- explanations, but none quite fit the bill for all four of the new uh, odd radio circles. They've ruled out objects like supernovas, star-forming galaxies, planetary nebulas, and gravitational lensing, which is a magnifying effect due to the bending of space-time by nearby massive objects, among other things. Mm-hmm. The astronomers speculate like the object... Like what? Like a black hole. Yes, yes. Among other things, the astronomers speculate that the objects could be shockwaves left over from some extra galactic event or possibly activity from a radio galaxy. What is a radio galaxy? So just I'm, a speculation I don't really know. I'm, I'm assuming it's a galaxy with high levels of radio waves. I don't know. Let's see. So just that that's basically what it is. A galaxy emitting radiation in the radio frequency range of the electronic, uh, electromagnetic spectrum. I got you. So, just, so essentially, uh, yeah. essentially, it's like what we're picking up from these ones that are like 3 billion light years away, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So uh, more or less, it would be either have a large amount of uh, quasars or something inside the galaxy that's emitting a large amount of uh, radio waves. 
I got you. With only four of these particular objects discovered so far, the astronomers can't yet tease out the true nature of these structures. But the EMU survey is just the beginning. The astronomers expect to reveal more of the unusual objects in the coming days. I'm curious. I have to admit, I'm curious. So if it's unlike anything we've ever seen before, all right, well, let's try and make a new discovery then, right? Yeah, I'm curious about it as well. Though, I mean, it sounds like it could be, talking about it being a shockwave, it could also just be a, a planet with, you know, for example, we know of planets that are made of mostly diamond, for example. I mean, it, it could be a planet that's made of um, a certain material uh, in large quantities, and we've never seen something in that minute, you know, that amount of quantities, uh, you know, as far as like a large planet or a moon or even, in a, a, you know, something. So, yeah, who knows what it could be. I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. But unfortunately, we're out of time this morning, so we're going to have to jump out of here. Thank you for sitting down this morning, Bruce. Thank you to all the listeners. For all these topics and more, please check us out later on this afternoon, and I hope everyone has a great morning.